Last time on Video Night. I like these comics. Hey, party on, dude. Pooping on it. Frankenstein hipster. And now. Video Night. Andrew? Michael? You know, I've been thinking lately. You know, one of my favorite directors growing up is Tim Burton. Yes. But lately, I've noticed that his movies don't really interest me. They're massive CGI fests that have really no heart in them. And I kind of want to go back and kind of view, you know, his earlier stuff. You know, we, we've discussed Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I think, here and there, like, in scatter discussions. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those movies that just ends up in a lot of discussions. We haven't done Beetlejuice. No, no, I mean, um, like, but those movies don't ever need to be talked about because they're so beloved. Right, a lot of people talk about those movies. There is a certain period of his career where I feel the heavy influence of his youth. You know, the suburban 1960s Los Angeles. Yes. There's a lot of that kitsch kind of vibe through a chunk of his films. Yeah. And not a lot of people really discuss, yes, Ed Wood is now widely regarded as one of the greatest movies of his career. Yes. But I think that uh, still a lot of the people who are not cinephiles have not seen this film. Right. Yes. Um, I have friends who are not just the most basic B of movie watching, but they've seen some rare things on their own and they haven't seen Ed Wood. Right. It's one of those movies that I think has been kind of swept under the rug over the years. But l let's go back actually a little bit earlier. There's a film of his which kind of first presented his very particular vision, not someone else's. He was using Paul Rubin's idea for The Big Adventure. Beetlejuice was written by somebody else. And then Batman, of course, is just this massive DC Comics behemoth. But it's it's after that when he had the power to more focus on his concept. Some his sort idea. of passion project of his. Right. And that's with Edward Scissorhands. Kim, this is Edward who's going to live with us. His story will touch you. Hold me. Even though he can't. Edward Scissorhands, rated PG-13. I just watched it again last night for the first time in a long time. Now, I think in the goth circle, if there is still even like a goth alternative, I guess if you go into any hot topic, it's alive and well. <laughs> um, right. But general audiences, I think, have forgotten about Edward Scissorhands. So I figured well, that's where we should start. They've this recently kind of put out a new Blu-ray of it, which has the most gaudy, terrible, new photoshopped old photos of the cast members in a way that's like when he did Alice in Wonderland. Right. It's like Real that that kind of graphic cover. design. But I okay. just recently got the Blu-ray after holding off for a long time and I lament that it's not any of the original covers or alternate posters at the time. That it's this new thing that's photoshopped all weird and yes, gothy. Yes, playing on the new goth style that he's known for now. It bothers me so much. Yeah, I mean, because I'm an illustrator, you know. Yeah, I think when they take the original artwork and try to make it more modern, MGM being the biggest user of this kind of concept, I guess, of just chopping up, like, images and putting them together to make them look hip and cool instead of using the original posters or, or even a, a, a still shot. I think it's a huge waste of time. Just go back to the original. People have no problem with this. I don't have a problem with remixes and all that stuff, but this is not a remix that's necessary. Anyway. It's not like a pop art version. It's just it's just a, yeah. a cheap, on-the-quick kind of studio edit. Yes. 
No, um, Edward Scissorhands. What what was the year? 1991? Uh, Christmas, 1990. 1990. Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. I was Andrew Pencilfingers. For Halloween? No, that's just my life in high school. Andrew Pencilfingers. Because huh. uh, I drew all the time, and I really related to this story. I just never had the girlfriend. Well, he barely did either. I mean, he, re he didn't really get the girl. He only for like a No, he moment. didn't at all, but he... Well, okay, so he totally related. I admired a girl or two in high school and they were nice to me like she was nice to him sometimes sympathetic towards him and then eventually just like nah yeah. right yeah been there done that right so i mean that was me so replaces scissor fingers with pencils and that was you know Andrew pencil fingers. You know what? There's something bouncing around in my head, and I know you won't want me to say it, but you know there's a porno version of this movie, and it shocks and yes. stuns me yeah. that it even exists. Oh, boy. It's one of the worst things out there. There's the E.T. one, and then there's that one. Yeah. And they're... It's just awful. Yes. I mean, it, it, there's the audacity in, in making his hands each a single phallus it's what yeah i know uh, but let, let's take this let's take it back to the movie first so in the wrong context if you think about edward scissorhands that's incredibly cruel and bizarre it's like kind of human centipede experiment why did vincent price's character give him scissorhands uh they were placeholders <laughs> No, yeah. they just don't have any hands. <laughs> he was about to make him hands, as established in the film, before he croaked. Yeah, 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 but why scissors in the first place? Why <laughs> such huge behemoths? They're not even... Why not salad dogs? They're not, yeah, I know, right? They're not even, like, kitchen shears. They're these behemoths, like, like the kind of stuff you'd see in a Jason movie. <laughs> these are fabric shears. I don't have an answer that's the other audacious thing about this story is that he's frankenstein it's a frankenstein tale but he doesn't have hands yet so scissor hands because it's ridiculous it is ridiculous you have to look at this as a pure comedy uh with dark elements because otherwise yeah, you're a like fable a fable fairy tale sort of thing like this is silly. Yeah, I was going to say, in Absolutely the time that it silly. took to put the scissors in a hand form, you could have just developed the normal hands. <laughs> you got it. That's true. Okay, so is so, Edward uh, dead? I like... Is he a zombie or is he like part cybernetic? What is he? I think he's, I guess maybe cybernetic if you consider he's got scissor hands. But I think he's just like a Frankenstein's creature. He's got all these nicks and scratches all over him and that's not just from his hands, you know. So. Now, he doesn't eat, correct? Because if he eats, he has to poop, and therefore, how do you actually <laughs> open your pants to poop? He and tries pee? to eat in the movie, but they just sidestep the whole... Right. So the logistics of this should be just tossed out the window. This is a grim fairy tale yes, of the modern day. exactly. You can't think about this with any kind of logic. It is purely an artistic endeavor to elicit an emotional response. And no way would it have ever been made before Batman. Not even with, you know, Beetlejuice doing pretty well. There's no way anybody would have given him $20 million to do this movie. No, not at all. But I do love that he finally got to work with Vincent Price. Yeah. As little... Well, well, technically, as little he as Vincent did it, could do. Right? Doesn't Vincent narrate the animated short? Yes, he does. But okay. I mean, on film, right, right. straight up being able to work with him in a new project. That's just lovely. If you knew the history that he was a sort of mentor to Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. Here's the other thing. is not only is it just, you have to take it as a 
comedy in order to really not like be crippled by logic and like, oh my god, who would do such a horrible thing to another person? I think the other thing that makes it work is the cast. The cast plays it straight, but with kind of a bizarre, almost independent film twist. This, under any other circumstances, probably would have been a New World kind of film or something, you know, like yeah. almost uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a Paul Bartel, John Waters kind of thing. Yeah, like the movie Parents, which is a horror movie. The Dark Backward. And Meet the Applegates, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Meet the Applegates. There's a type of film that this is probably the pinnacle of in that it's well-regarded mainstream. The rest of them aren't well regarded at all. No, no. And most it has of these a movies, visual kind of um, aesthetic that's like harkens to the yeah, the sixties and what you said, kitsch. Right. It's not only kitsch; it's kitsch juxtapositioned with uh, dark fantasy. Yeah. Almost all these movies have a dark comedy element to them, mixed with the absurdity of like this late fifties, early sixties kind of yeah. world. A lot of them tend to be set in like California or the Southwest. You know, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, that kind of area. Even Tremors in its way is kind of a, a look at kitsch in huh. that area yeah that's the south the dead town tumbleweed town yeah this movie was shot in florida and i think it's actually set in florida but even though it's not said but florida i never would have thought i thought that was shot in like the universal background no, i honestly thought a brand new housing track and they painted all the houses now if you look oh. at now it, okay you know what i actually thought these were this was the neighborhood from the burbs maybe it was like you know one section is the two-story houses the other section is the one-story house because you know you, you notice a lot of these neighborhoods during the 80s early 90s kind of movies are all set in like cul-de-sacs yeah they're easy to film that way yeah so so they found this housing track and they painted all the houses and these houses don't look like the mid-century houses these are just early 90s pop-up houses big ones but they could paint them and they'd had enough arrangements so that they could do the choreographed cars pulling out of the parking lots at the same time right. to go to work and all that stuff so <laughs> yeah let's talk about the cast real quick um diane alan Weist. arkin diane weist yeah first. diane weist is so lovely in this she's movie. I, I enjoy her she, highly she's just yes. so sweet <laughs> you think about the cynical times that this movie was made in and her hopefulness and her kindness towards edward it's all genuine um, is yeah it's admirable because it feels like a lot of people would just do the exact opposite. they treat him like a monster instantly or they'd be selfish and not want anything to do with them or just scared and she just you know open heart right to him yeah just a darling and then alan arkin as her husband playing the perfect you know dad ag again kind of oblivious but also kind of wise and yeah here's the funniest yeah. thing to me being a bald man i've become quite keen on what is a hairpiece what is not and i'm looking at alan arkin this whole time and i remember his like kind of like george clooney caesar hairpiece that he wore like during the late 60s throughout most of the 70s and then he dumped it and i'm looking at him in this movie and i go is that what his real hair looks like this whole time without his toupee and then i see you can see like the glue lines the perfect seam i was like they gave him a bald cap that only made him kind of bald that's weird because <laughs> uh, he didn't have that that monk hair do i suppose you know yeah prior tuck oh and this is when anthony michael hall he went away for a couple years remember and he came back all beefy we're like yeah what? he was he was america's favorite nerd geek dork and then he did snl grew up on snl for two years and then went away came back in a slew of bro moves johnny be good into the sun a gnome named norm wait what <laughs> and he played he played dude bros and instead of nerdy dorks because he filled out he got muscles yeah. i can kind of see where he's coming from if you're perceived as the country 
his number one go-to dork. You're like, okay, well, I know it's not going to make any money. It's probably not that great of a script. Go ahead and give me Out of Bounds. So here he plays the jock boyfriend of Winona Ryder, who I, I actually don't think her hair should have been blonde No, at all. it looks ridiculous and incredibly fake. I know it's a fantasy, so it kind of works in that aspect. If it was supposed to be completely realistic, you're like, no, that looks like crap. Hairstyles now and the technology that goes in to making cool-looking hairdos, she could probably have been blonde had the movie been made now and it looked better yeah so she's the unassuming daughter who is at once terrified of edward scissorhands and intrigued and then kind of digs him by the end of it actually quite digs him but can't it's one of those forbidden romances and the bully boyfriend anthony michael hall just can't stand him because he's weird. And then the whole town wants to exploit his magic fingers, scissor hands. So he cuts hair and does their shrubs. That's it. I still can't <laughs> believe those dogs sat still with those. I know that, you know, I think Stan Winston. Oh, right. He prunes hedges, does shrubs, cuts people's hair, and then uh, dogs, right? Yeah, it's Pet crazy hair. that, you know, the dogs would sit still. I'd be like, my dog would jump the second it came anywhere near her. You know, I can't imagine how well trained <laughs> they were to let someone just like fling scissors all around. I know they're probably rubber but you know even that part where take take this into effect if, if this was kind of realistic when he's cutting kathy uh, baker's hair yeah. th they're just flying around like crazy and i'm like no 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 the way you're flying around ears are gonna be flying off you know <laughs> yep slices everywhere ah! <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's absolutely an unrealistic fable. And the thing, like I said, it's only there to elicit an emotional response. And boy, for a long time, I gave it that. As an illustrator, a young artist, people would, Hey, draw me! Hey, I can't do this very well. You do it. <laughs> and stuff like that. So I felt the exploitation bit I of the story. I hate it when people are like, Michael, you're really funny. Uh, tell us some jokes. Make us laugh. I'm like, that's not how I work. I'm not a stand-up comedian. Oh, yeah. Like that's naturally See, even stand-up like, comedians, you don't say, hey, stand-up comedian, tell me a joke. Right. They're you're not a dancing monkey. you got to have the, the place set. I'm not very good at on-command. Like, I can do an impersonation or a voice, like, on my own, but if somebody else wants me to do it or, like, uh, do the joke again, I was like, you mean the one I did 10 right. seconds ago? Yes, no, exactly. No. See, I have a friend. He... Is a beloved friend of mine, goes back 20 years or so. His name's Ron. He didn't understand this. I, I sometimes do impressions and it's just conversationally. I, I know how to do Christopher Walken a little bit. So I would do that. I would sometimes actually, you've even said that my regular pauses are kind of Christopher Walken y. So I would do uh, my blockbuster shtick, which was just say lines from other movies like Goonies. Hey, you guys. Baby Ruth, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, I just turned it on kind of easy because that's my only go-to thing. But in conversation with him, I would goof off, do this, but then we'd be in social situations and he'd be like, Andrew, do your Christopher Walken! <laughs> no. No, no. I would be like, no, you're just telling me to do it. It's, it's not even natural for me to just... It's not. It has to just come out, and it's yeah, not. Yeah, it's my thing. When I get lost in a character, and I do this, there'd be moments where I'm just completely lost in a character, and it's it's like I separate myself for a little bit, and I become that person, and, and if you interrupt me or just say anything or Ooh, repeat that line again, I kind of lose it. It's I think it's how Amy Sedaris kind of goes into character. Once she's going there, she's gone, and she has to choose to come out of it. Oh, yeah. 
Well, that's and that's, that's how I feel. That problem. is, it's that way with Johnny Depp. I feel like he has a way of completely losing himself in a character. I think he likes being, and I know people are sick of it, but the more eccentric, the better, because he gets to distance himself from the celebrity, the A-list, the uh, well, right, and, the, and still uh, in some respects, on- very good-looking man. We saw him on the Graham Norton show very recently, and he was the weirdest we've ever seen him. He might have been drunk. Probably was drunk. It was, <laughs> Maybe. This is him going through the divorce problem that he had recently. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's there, and he's kind of bloated looking. He looks like he's got a bastion tooth. <laughs> not not so bad that it's blackened or anything, but kind of a, a tilted-in tooth. And he's just mumbling his whatever he's saying. It's just the weirdest. So I think when he does these Captain Jack characters, are these deep caricature characters because they're they're very silly characters that he does most of the time. When he does those, I think it's like a vacation. I think it's an escape yeah, it's, for him to get out of his Right, A-list it's, it's getting thing. away from the, the limelight can be suffocated. So I think it's weirder when an actor does the same thing over and over. Denzel Washington has played Denzel Washington for the last 15 movies in a row, but then Johnny Depp does these wild and crazy characters. He doesn't play it safe. And yes, a lot of his movies fumble the ball, you know, and they don't. they're not making as much money as they used to that's kind of the way he started off you know if you look from crybaby up until pirates of caribbean he maybe had two hits that carried him that whole time and you know and people would just say oh he's a respected actor he's doing a great job yeah it doesn't connect to the audiences but we're gonna keep trying but now since he's had such massive success every time he fumbles the ball people are like oh he's a has-been man oh, he's yeah. done he's tired yeah, yeah. and this that's is actually stupid. really uh well you said crybaby maybe crybaby was the beginning of it where he was like no i'm not gonna go the matinee idol thing and crybaby was a send-up of matinee idol so it is and he wanted out of 21 jump street after i think the second season but they made him stick around for two yeah so he does the crazy weird stuff i mean stuff that tanks he's very not a bankable a-list star and it's because of all the risks that he does but for some reason people like him and keep going to his movies but i think those are the normies i think the normies are like Another Pirates? Sure. That's a thing keeps him afloat, but how much longer can he do that? That's why he's got Invisible Man coming up, because it's an emergency backup if this next Pirates does not connect. Huh. Do you think that Edward Scissorhands should have ended dark? I used to think that that's the natural progression of the story. Like, it was a way for Tim Burton to... St- subconsciously... I am, I'm assuming Tim Burton was somebody who's probably bullied a lot. Oh, yeah. And yeah. this was his subconscious way of dealing with it and saying, look... Uh, you can only pick on somebody so long and they're going to stand up for themselves. Or, as an adult, now I view it as, oh, that was an easy cop-out. Well, that mm. is a studio way of ending a movie. Well, no, 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 no. I think you are wrong because it did end pretty dark. Spoiler alert, he stabs the bully through the chest in a very self-defensive way and is like, no, puts his hands out. No, but your hands happen to be sharp objects, so stab. Yes, but if you look at the way the movies were going from, say, Death Wish up and through, like, you know, the, 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 the rogue cop kind of movie, you know, these guys were, you know, always ending it with this violent, their own version of justice. I didn't know if that was kind of the underlying thinking. No, no, no. Well, with, I mean, as far as Tim, Tim Burton place. was like, yeah, probably. More, more than likely. Yeah, I got the bully. But then at the same time, that's not Edward. Edward isn't gonna just run around slicing everybody. Everybody's vilifying him right. because he has the scissors in the first place. So he defends himself, defends her, and so uh, he accidentally kills the guy. And it is tragic. So I think it does 
end it's on true. a darker if, note, if, except the... If Danny Elfman had played the score more like, say, an Al- Alan Salvestri or James Horner kind of score, like a triumphant kind of thing... Oh, right. I guess it could be viewed as a vigilante kind of exploitive moment, but Danny Elfman... Uh, no, it's all sympathetic. Kind of introver- it's... Yeah, it's sympathetic. It's almost an introverted version of the final action sequence. There's no one-liners. There's no, like, da-da-da-da right. kind yeah, of yeah, moment. Yeah. There's no... It's not triumphant at all. It is sad. So, I think Tim Burton did a good job saying to us, there's no revenge. Right. Do you think that if Johnny Depp gets so desperate for a hit that he'll do an Edward Scissorhands too? Because you can hide under that makeup no. and maybe he'll save There should be no Edward Scissorhands too. I know, but you know how Hollywood is. Once an actor starts running out of things to go to, they're like, what else do I have? You know, and then Edward Scissorhands 2 comes around. No! Eddie's revenge. No! I know, right? <laughs> Terrible. Or it'll be, it'll be something more desperate like Edward Scissorhands versus the lawnmower man. Two simpletons. Blades of flying. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's really ridiculous. The next movie they worked on together was Ed Wood. From Touchstone Pictures. You flying saucer? Critics are calling Ed Wood one of the year's funniest films. It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. It's a supernatural thriller. Rolling Stone says Johnny Depp is terrific in a hilarious performance. All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Martin Landau is a sure thing Oscar nominee. I mean, Spectre Lugosi. It's Tim Burton's most provocative film. Do you reject Satan and all his evils? Sure. Ed Wood, rated R. Yeah, which which had to be weird because someone, someone was like, wait. No, I've already seen Edward. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't have scissors. It's it's kitschy and it's weird. <laughs> right, uh, Edward, yeah. <laughs> Edward. Yes, I, I I know. I was thinking this, and you got there first. So, yay, yeah, you, you win. Cookie. Ha, la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Edward and Edward Scissorhands. Like, have you seen Edward? Yeah, Scissorhands. No, I'm not saying Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> But that would actually. Oh my God! Be an what if interesting Edward, mashup? What if you I combine think. the two and the Edward Scissorhands? He, it's Edward Scissorhands, and he's directing, but he really has no like talent. He doesn't really say much. He just kind of stands. Right, he keeps cuts all the electrical wires on accident. And no, he wait. Like, no, he's the editor for. Edward. But he is editing, right? <laughs> he actually finds his calling yeah. in the editing bay. Cut. <laughs> and he just comes right in, cuts the footage out, and moves on. Snip, right. Yeah, he, he's, the, he's the editor's assistant. That's his it'd, job. Like and, and, of course, Johnny Depp would be playing both, so it'd be like the double impact of weirdos and kitschy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Ed Wood is the story of the film director, Edward D. Wood Jr., and his relationship with Bella Lugosi. Oh what if they had called it Edward Wood? Edward Wood? <laughs> right. So I first heard of, and I mentioned this before, I first heard of Ed Wood in the film It Came From Hollywood. Plan 9 from Outer Space was Ed's science fiction epic, made for about $37. When it comes to low-budget thrillers, Ed Wood stands alone at the foot of the heap. What plan will you follow now? Plan 9. It's been absolutely impossible to work through these Earth creatures. Their soul is too controlled. Watch this guy pick up a script and read. Plan 9. Ah, yes. Plan 9 deals with the resurrection of the dead. Ah, Bella Lugosi, the star of the picture. Unfortunately, he died two days into filming. So Ed tried to pass off his wife's chiropractor as Bella Lugosi's double. Sure, he was a full head taller than Bella, but as long as he kept the cape over his face, Ed figured the audience would never know. Was too close. Was all you of Earth are idiots, you see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid, stupid. That's all I'm taking from you. Get back here, you fool! Let him finish. It's 
It's because of men like you that all must be destroyed. My friend, you have seen this incident based on sworn testimony. Can you prove that it didn't happen? Oh, yeah, you're telling me about this. I still haven't seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so that. finally I got a hold of it. Plan 9 this is early 90s. My favorite and line from this, I, just like, I actually had seen Plan 9 right before Edward, like a couple months prior. My, I have an uncle who's just a little bit older than me, and he's in, like, a really weird movies. Yeah. And I remember, like, watching it, and the only thing that kept sticking in my head was, Never to return again. I don't know why. The way he says it is like, <laughs> uh, I don't think you read that line right. Well, <laughs> as the oft-touted worst film ever made, it's not. No, not even close. It's far from it. Swordfish exists, but... people. Swordfish with John Travolta. <laughs> no, this is obviously bad filmmaking. It's not the most inept filmmaking, because guess what? The guy made a film. A bunch of them. But they're bad in the sense that they're schlocky. They are not well-written. Stilted dialogue. But there's something in that cemetery, and that's too close for comfort. The saucers are up there, and the cemetery's out there. But I'll be locked up in there. Stilted body acting, the performances of everybody, is it's just bad. What is the but, worst movie you've ever seen? I'm curious. Oh, okay. And, and, it's, and either I, a, take it. it's either a Yuli Lomo movie. Oh, yeah. And I can't t tell you which one because it's just so bad. Probably one of the zombie, zombie nation or something. Uh, oh, he's the one and that. It's not he, Uwe Boll. He's the one that did Boogeyman, right? The first Boogeyman. Yeah, the original okay. first. And then he's ridden. From the director of Boogeyman on every movie that he's ever <laughs> no, made right? since. Just keep eking that one and out. Apparently, he just gets drunk and says he's directing a movie while the rest of the crew directs the movie, <laughs> and he's on set drinking. <laughs> this is what I've heard. Oh, man. <laughs> I go to his name for worst director. Mine is. But uh, I'm not going to say the name right. It's like Jay Ingvor Iverson, the Swedish director. <laughs> he did. A, listen to this, folks. Air Boss, which got a minimal, bare minimal release in America, but ended up selling enough to make Air Boss 1 through 4 and they're all terrible and they all Air what? Air Boss it's a Frank Zagarino is like a Top Gun kind of guy but it's all footage stolen from like Russian CCCTV or whatever and it's just oh my god it's so bad and all of his movies are like this wow. all of them they're all shot on a budget of like $80,000 with tons of reused footage and half of them have Frank Zagarino in them weird weird yep. not the good weird not the kind of weird I like to explore but Ed Wood movies are the kind of weird I like to explore and this comes covers two of his, no, three of his movies. Yeah, his movies covers... are fascinating. They are so strange, patchwork, kind of like, almost dream-like. Well, what you just said about the guy using CCTV and, and uh, cutting room floor footage and B-roll from wherever he got it, and that guy's making his air boss? Yeah. Ed Wood actually did that with Glenn or Glenda. He had at his disposal a bunch of stock footage of like stampeding bison and stuff yeah. like this. You know what? You know what Edward then, would say every time he added some new footage in. Whenever it's like, "Hey, you want to throw this thing of buffalo stampeding through?" He would go, "Pull the strings! Pull the strings!" Well, that was the thing that he talked Bella Lugosi into doing yeah, no. is being the god overseeing the story of Glen or Glenda, which is featured in the movie Ed Wood about Edward's own proclivity for wearing women's clothing, and in particular. Nice undergarments and Angora sweaters, which I love Angora sweaters. It's like petting a bunny. <laughs> I'll put the bunny. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so that movie that he made, at the time there was a lot of sex change 
tabloid stuff happening. Christine Jorgensen just made a splash on the tabloids of being the first sex change recipient. And so they were making a bunch of exploitation films at the time in Hollywood. And he went to a little film studio who said, like, You said you had some special qualifications? Mr. Weiss, I have never told anyone what I'm about to tell you. But I really want this job. I like to dress in women's clothing. You a fruit? No, not at all. I love women. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. You're not a fruit. No, I'm all men. I even fought in WW2. Of course, I was wearing women's undergarments under my uniform. You gotta be kidding me. Confidentially, I even paratrooped wearing a brassiere and panties. I'll tell you, I wasn't scared of being killed, but I was terrified of getting wounded and having the medics discover my secret. So you think this qualifies you to make my movie? Yes. I know what it's like to live with a secret and worry about what people are gonna think of you. My girlfriend still doesn't know why her sweaters are always stretched out. And so they made Glenn or Glenda, and he also met, close to that time, Bella Lugosi, who is depicted as an ornery cuss who cusses a whole lot. Oh, yeah. That's not accurate. According to, I think Myla Nurmi was even like, no, he's not, he didn't cuss a lot. He wasn't that surly, but he was an addict, and that's covered in the film. It's weird that I'm promoting another podcast while doing a podcast. No, it's all right. But there's another podcast, The Amazing Colossal podcast with Gilbert Godfrey and Frank Santo Padre, where they have interviews with either people who are big fans of old cinema, you know, like pre 1980s in television, or they actually have the surviving people come on. There was a, a small period around Halloween two years ago where they had Bella Lugosi's granddaughter, uh. or I actually think his daughter, but they would get a bunch of like the children of these famous horror monster kind of people, you know, like uh, Boris Karloff and, and Lon Chaney Jr. and stuff like that. They would have them on the show and the episode where they discuss Bella Lugosi, I believe is his granddaughter, about his life or whatever, and she said, yeah, the movie's great, but the swearing part, not even close. There you go. That's what I'm getting at. But it's just so perfectly performed by Martin Landau. Take my bird for it. If you want to make out with the young lady, take them to see this is one of my favorite movies, Edward. Yeah, every time I watch it, it moves this closer. This is actually kind of why I don't want to divulge too much information about it, because you just have to experience it yourself. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer of this. There used to be a thing called Channel One. They would show it like every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's where Anderson Cooper and Lisa Ling started at. It was like a 20-minute show that would... Yeah, okay. Did, did yeah. you ever see this? Yeah, it's a, it's a cable thing. Yeah, they would air this, and I remember seeing a trailer for Ed Wood. They're trying to sell this to high school students, and that is the problem. That is why I think it tanked, is because they were trying to make it like kind of kitschy cool, you know, aim at that audience. You couldn't do that. 15-year-olds don't give a shit about anything that's in black and white, let alone... Unless you're me, and I, well, I wasn't 15, I was much older, but I did at the time care because I was that weird kid. Yeah. Well, what they needed know? to do was aim at the hipster 20s and 30-year-olds, you know, the ones that were bringing back swing and cigar lounges and, and right. you know, uh, the derby, you know, stuff like that, you know, ska and swing, that kind of stuff. Those guys were more into, hey, this is from like 30 years ago, this is kind of cool and weird, you know, let's discover this. High schoolers are really not at that phase yet for most part. Nah, there's always just that one or two kids that are and they're often ostracized. So Yeah, and I was really, really excited. I didn't care that it was in black and white. It seems strange. And this is right when I was starting to get into alternative movies. Oh yeah. You know, this is right before, you know, Pulp Fiction would break out and, and bring independent cinema to the forefront. And right. I remember going, that looks so great. And everybody's like, what kind of bullshit is that? It's black and white. <laughs> well, okay, so 
it was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karazowski, who are behind American Crime Story. That was about O.J. Simpson, which was a very fascinating television series. I have not seen and it, it was yet. On FX. Well, let's talk. Just, let's, let's say what they did before. Uh, no, 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 not okay. yet, not yet, not yet. Okay. Last movie that they did was Big Eyes, which I think is a big failure. You, you didn't uh, like it. Another Tim Burton movie. Yeah, I did not like it. I liked it. It was. It was not. I didn't enjoy how it looked. It should have been shot like it was uh, early 60s bedroom comedy, like a, a Doris Day type of movie. It should have been shot like that. It should have had that look to it, that vintage look and everything, and it didn't at all. It was just very boring. Everything was just, he's not being creative at all. He's just like, uh, this is a story. Well, they gave me to do it. Do you think it was I a boomerang effect before. where he went so far out with fake and CGI with his last few movies that he decided to come back and try to make something more like a 70s character picture? You know, like, you know, you know how movies were made like in the late 70s early yeah, 80s i know but like with ed wood he made a very creative starkly shadowed black and white film now ed wood was not originally supposed to be black and white i mean i think tim burton if i remember correctly was kind of torn between doing it in color or black and white the studio wanted color but when they did the makeup for bella lugosi it didn't look right they tried over and no. over and over and rick baker said well you know we've never seen bella in color he's never been shot. right that's one of the big problems yeah. with shooting anything about Bella in color is you've never seen him in color. Right. And so that was the final decision. The studio agreed after a test shot showing Bella in the black and white and they said, okay, we'll we'll go in that direction. And oh my goodness, thank, uh, there's so few black and white films anyway and I think Schindler's List being shot in black and white making a lot of money. You know how studio heads think. Well, that was black yeah. and white. I guess it made some money. Okay, go ahead. So you have to do things deliberately artistically using the medium and I don't really think that he did Big Eyes deliberately artistically. I think he just cakewalked it. Maybe. Maybe he so, yeah, I don't or know. slept walked. Yeah, really. You're right. Let's not discuss too much about Edward's career because everything is very surprising. Even if you know the top level of what he is or who he is, it still doesn't yeah. get into the meat of how all this stuff came about. There's two things I did want to discuss. A, I don't know if 100% if Johnny Depp's portrayal of the director is spot on, but he portrays him so enthusiastic. Even in the worst circumstances, he's like, oh my God, I'm making a movie. How many people get to make a movie and this is back in the day before right. like digital cameras and five thousand dollars would get you a feature film his portrayal of edward is really great but the rest of the cast is good too you have sarah jessica parker God, how can you act so casual with your dress like that you have patricia arquette what are you an angora wholesaler so lovely you have jeffrey jones you are interested in the unknown and bill murray yeah. oh what does that old queen know <laughs> And Bill Murray going opposite of what Bill Murray usually does, except still being Bill Murray because he's sarcastic. Yeah. He's just playing it a, a bit more fey. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. This whole thing is fascinating. Ed Wood, great movie. The other thing is, if you rewind to Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski before they did Ed Wood, they had done Problem Child. Yeah. Now people are like, how did they make that movie and then make this movie? I'm like, have you seen <laughs> Problem Child? They did both Problem Child movies. Yeah, I was like, those movies are dark for a kid's movie. And I haven't seen them since they came out. I couldn't stand them. I couldn't handle them. I have not revisited them since I saw them, and I think I only saw the first one, and I, I just... Oh, really? I, it really negatively affected me. I could not stand that kid. I could not stand the kind of comedy. You say dark, it's mean-spirited. Uh, 
yeah, I guess you you would say that. But it's um, they act like it's so wildly different. I'm like, well, they just took something that was kind of expected to be like kind of innocent and pure, and then kind of gave it a weird twist. Yeah. This is just taking like someone like Hitchcock, you know, and just twisting it. You know, it, the bizarro version of a highly successful actor. It kind of made sense to me how they made this, and, and they jump from comedy to drama, comedy to drama. And I think what works is that they do find why these people like their heart. They get to the sympathy part instead of just making them outrageous flat characters. Yeah. Oh, they also went on to make uh, That Darn Cat. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> and Agent Cody Banks. But still, they did People versus Larry Flint, which is fantastic. Yeah. And I, I really, I liked Big Eyes. You're right, visually, maybe it's not, but I think it's from a different perspective than what you think it's from. Sure. The last thing I want to say about Ed Wood is I think, not Ed Wood itself, but the movies that he was making, I think it started that trend of hiring an actor who was kind of a name, but, you know, definitely peaked quite a ways back. But you could get them for, like, a day or two for, like, $1,000 or, or, or less. And you see that all the time now. Your Netflix queue is filled with these, like, especially action films. Yeah. You got Stephen Lang for a day. You got Danny Glover for a day. You know, they're filled with all these names now. You're like, how did they afford all of them? And then you realize they're only in it for, like, five minutes at most. Think about the that he had first off he got a lot of people that were recognizable names not necessarily actors but it was mostly about bella he would have bella come in for just like a day you would see that a lot you're right i think so he's got and, and especially with john yeah. carradine being like the king of that but bella Lugosi was no slacker in that where he would show up on a movie you know like uh was that the brooklyn gorilla meets the east side kids or something oh right show yeah. up for a couple days get your thousand dollars a day and that's it and, and it pads the sellability of the movie without making the budget go crazy oh right got I have a question. This leads into the next one. But I have this question. This next one he said no to because he was going to do something else. But why did he say no to Cabin Boy? Touchstone Pictures presents... Here's how a harem girl dances. Okay, well, uh, thank you for that. Whatever that was. Cabin Boy. They'll come in. It's the story of a boy and his love affair with the sea. This moron got on the wrong boat. He never dreamed where the winds of fortune would blow him, where the spirit of adventure would hurl him, or where the hands of fate... Come on over here, honey. ...would grab him. These pipes are clean! Touchstone Pictures presents... What happened to you? Well, let's just say I've finally shed my feminine side. Chris Elliott. So this is what you guys do for fun? Humiliate an imbecile? <laughs> cabin Boy. Thank you, fellow crewmates. I'm off. And when I return... I shall be a cabin man. Rated PG-13. Because of Ed Wood, right? Is that... Like Is that tricked. what it was? Yeah, he turned it down because he wanted to focus on Ed Wood. So therefore, he had someone else. I think the writer of the, you know, Adam Rifkin. Adam Resnick? Okay, so Cabin Boy, it's, you know, it basically he says Captain Courageous kind of parody. You know, this bizarro universe where instead of being the mighty hero, it turns out to be a complete schmuck. Which I always love idiots being put into environments with other idiots. It's just like, and eventually one of them has to somehow pull their head out of their butt and become the hero. Right. Or at least the leader. Yes, so Tim Burton was going to direct it after he saw Chris Elliott in Get a Life. Golly, man. You remember when that made the top ten list on a lot of people? And then you're like, oh, so something weird is actually kind of getting legitimized. And then you see Twin Peaks at number one. You're like, oh, my God, the weird universe is coming you know, to the forefront. And then it all kind of crashed and burned two years later when all that got canceled. Yeah, it and goes bombed. away. And then you're like left being weird by yourself. <laughs> 
You're popping in Ruben and Ed for the 30th time. <laughs> so, Adam Resnick took over from Tim Burton. Tim Burton produced this. Screenplay was by Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott. Well, Chris Elliott did the story. But I cannot imagine at all Tim Burton actually directing this with the script as it was. No. You know what I think happens a lot of the times is a director will, or an actor, will attach themselves to a script. They have no actual intention of directing. They just want to kind of see, can this get made? They push along so far in the project that it's worth the studio to keep going instead of shutting down. And they have someone prepped the whole time. And they know that they're going to bail. I feel that's what's going to happen with Predator. I do not believe Shane Black is going to direct oh, the new dude, Predator. Oh, dude, I think I so. Think I think he should. I think it's going to be Fred Decker. I think he's going to hand it off. And I think that's what Tim Burton was doing. He kind of thought the idea was great, but not enough to direct. But if he said that he would direct, they would greenlight the production or whatever. And then he stepped away for something that interested him more. Well, and that's what happened with Ed Wood. So he went and made Ed yeah, Wood th instead. And this is the only production of his, correct? Where it's not animated. It's, it's a live action film where he just produces. Well, let me ask you this while you're looking it up. Would you like to buy a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was funny and it made me cough, laugh. <laughs> Cabin Boy, Ed Wood, a Visit with Vincent, Batman Forever, Lost in Oz, it's a TV movie, he's an executive producer, year right. 2000. Abe Lincoln, there you go, there's a new one. Abe Lincoln, Vamp Ah, there Hunter. we go, finally. That's a long gap though. When he produced Cabin Boy, I feel like this is when he was at the height of his power, that he could have got any sort of, say, you know, like under 15 million movie kind of made, if he wanted to, and he just kind of dropped the ball. He could have made so many weirdo movies for a studio. Touchstone probably would have written him a hundred million dollars, said, hey, give us five movies, you're good. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't. It seems like, especially after he no longer was part of the Batman world, he was just kind of like, oh yeah, sure, I'll take a paycheck and say I produce Batman forever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I wish his back was thrown into this because yeah. we, I watched it last night and Cabin Boy is a funny movie that is really unfocused. It It's short too, man. It's like 82 minutes long at yeah. best. And I think you're counting the credits. I mean, it's funny. It's got a lot of hits as far as the jokes go. But as many hits as it has, it has a bunch of misses. And also, I really like fake-looking movies sometimes. And this is a very fake-looking movie. Everything is on a soundstage. There's sunset backdrop. There's a sunrise backdrop. There's a regular day backdrop and a, a set made of styrofoam ice. Stuff like that. I, I like that if it's shot well. And this movie isn't exactly shot well. But it's as if they're like, yeah, we know it's cheap. It was $10 million, thinking... so where did that money go? I want to know that. Yeah, I mean, okay, so what I like about it is it's oddball. Uh, the whole thing seems kind of weird. Like, the whole thing just seems kind of, like, just off a beat of what a normal movie would do. Yeah, I mean, um, what, the, it's anachronistic, and that's part of its charm. Yeah, and, of course, the low-budget, the way that it was filmed, it's supposed to look like it's a movie from, like, the 50s, you know? Just, like, in Technicolor yes. and, you know, on a, sh a sound But stage. it's not it married has, to um, it, and that's the thing. I want it to be married to it. I want yeah, them to have thrown their backs into it and just really worked on making it legit looking and it, and it doesn't quite look as legit as it should the other thing is the cast i really enjoy pretty much every character in this they're they're um, character actors there's nobody that was really like a name at the time you got andy richter i think in his first performance i think i've ever seen as the it, original um, cabin boy in this movie the original kenny. cowboy who actually he's my favorite <laughs> he was my favorite character he's kenny the cabin boy and he's the biggest <laughs> idiot and he's lovable and silly and just innocent 
Yeah, and you know the four rascals that are on the boat, you know, just old mean men. But there is a heart that kind of comes about later in the movie. Brian James talks out of the side of his mouth the entire movie. Hey, talking like this the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you got James Gammon, who most people know is like the coach from uh, Major League Movie. But you know what that means? Kiss the girl. Yeah. I don't know why I can't. Yes, that voice yeah, like, hurt. we were like, that was the guy that, that George was responding to the most. He's like, his face, his voice, everything. Is he like Popeye? Anyway, it has <laughs> Brian Doyle. Yeah, Murray. Brian Doyle Murray is skunk, and he's just uh, he's just one of those surly fishermen. But he's just Brian Doyle Murray. He's not really doing much. No, no, no. He's just uh, kind of one of those. Uh, he was never really a name. He just kind of shows up, does the job, moves on. You know. Um, oh, he's a name. Well, no, he's kind of a, he's a utility player. Yeah, yeah. Know? He's kind but of like but like he shows up and stuff, and you go, oh, it's Brian. It's Brian Doyle. Yeah. LB walked by. She wasn't watching with us, but she walked by. She went to the kitchen and walked by us watching it, and she hears Brian Doyle Murray, and she starts laughing and saying Brian Doyle. So like like he's a name, I think. I mean, he's one of the Murray. He's like the other Murray. There's more than what? There's four Murrays, at least in the that have appeared on. Yeah, film. so there's four Murrays, and it's Brian and Bill. And Joel. I mean, those are the and... ones that we know like resonant oh, names. Yeah. You know, the rest are you like you. Um, what's the other guy's name? But Brian Brian Doyle <laughs> Murray is definitely the other Murray. And then we could go on about the cast, but most of them are just kind of cameos. Uh, we've got Russ Tamblin. Um, yeah, Russ Mike Tamblin. Starr, we were like, Ricky we Lake. did this after Twin Peaks because we also finished watching Twin Peaks recently. And he did this after Twin Peaks as Chalky the half man, half shark. <laughs> this movie's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> That's what I said. This movie's stupid. And George really liked it, which is pretty funny. There's so many one-liners. I find myself saying tastes like Mar the Pan a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and Magnuson is in it as sort of a, a blue goddess with multi-arms, and she teaches him how to be a man. Let's just say this. Uh, it's a little personal, but a friend asked me how something went, and I was like, these pipes are clean. <laughs> what? Is that a true story? Yes, yes. It's the first thing that popped in my mind. We both knew the movie, and he asked me, and I was just like, hmm, what can I say? Uh, and that's the first thing that popped in my head. Melora Walters is the love interest who is far from a love interest. <laughs> this movie, I was like, really, this movie couldn't be made with the script that it has then. It could not be made today. No, no, no. No, the jokes are are, um, are very bawdy. It was a rated PG-13 film, and it didn't do anything, did it, in the theater? No, not even. I think like four and a half, maybe six million. Yeah, passed. and it got three of my dollars. So Cabin Boy could not be made today. Not with the script that it has, not with the jokes that it has. And I think if it was to be remade, let's fantasize that it could be remade. On Netflix only. This is definitely uh, a Netflix or a Hulu kind of thing, like a five million dollar. Sure, it, it could of, actually, uh, they could actually make it look better now with smaller budget than the bigger budget that they had. They were also burning through film, so film is more expensive to shoot on. So maybe that's where yeah. $10 million goes. But the humor of it, I think, could be better. The setups for the jokes that they have or the ridiculousness, like the, the iceberg monster. <laughs> I just kept poking. Poke, poke, The housewares poke. giant mulligan who opened oh, yeah, up yeah, a yeah. housewares store on the other side of the island. <laughs> In the middle of nowhere. Right? 
on a deserted island. Like, these things have setups, and of course, Chalky, the half-shark, half-man, and the floating cupcake that spits in the guy's eye. All this stuff, they could tighten all the... Anyway. Well, it, it feels like a random idea. They're in the writer's room or whatever, just throwing out goofy but things. But it whatever. seems like there's and they just too had a list. few in the film. It seems like yeah. there should have been more. Maybe. Like, maybe they should have fought skeletons at one point or something. I don't know. But then that eats into the budget. You're talking, you only have so yeah, much yeah. money. I yeah, mean, yeah. I don't know where all the money went. I don't know how much of this Tim Burton collected. But... <laughs> I want to know what Tim Burton would have actually done with the movie. We'll never know. It would have been crazier, I think. I think it'd be nice if he could do... The movie again with his voice completely his voice. yeah uh, his voice back then not his voice now yeah get, get the writers of beetlejuice you know something crazy by the way i don't want to see a beetlejuice too just give it yeah up. Like, I, I don't want to i don't want to i don't want to stop it either. stop it beetlejuice goes hawaiian they're still harping on that old story uh beetlejuice gets arthritis oh my back uh. yeah well mars attacks is our last film what do we know about them we know they're extremely advanced technologically which suggests that they're peaceful I want the people to know that they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. See the biggest cast on the planet while it's still here. Whoa, Mars Attacks, directed by Tim Burton, starts Friday, December 13th at a theater near you. And this is where I think is the turning point of him turning to not being that good a director so often. Well, I also think this is where he started to play it safe because he had Ed Wood bomb pretty bad. I mean, even though it wasn't very expensive, but Mars Attacks was just a complete and absolute, like, critics hated it, audiences were confused, and, you know, it cost, I think, $70 million. It was a joke that few people got. Even today, I struggle with it. I want to like it so bad that I think I lie to myself a little bit. Yes, you do. You're like, a liar. I have lied to myself. <laughs> and, I've and lied to myself I, about this movie, but I collected the cards. This I collected the comic books. Well, before the comic books were the cards, oh. and the cards were from the 60s. Oh, right. And they had these really great paintings. I think Wally Wood worked on a lot of them. He worked on Creepy and Eerie and those magazines as well. They were really silly, big-brained aliens attacking Earth, sometimes in gruesome ways. And there were a series of cards that were not released until later in the 90s. Because they are so grotesque. When I got to them... I got to the reprints, but I collected just about all of them. And then I got rid of them. Because I, I had a girlfriend who was religious. Oh, there you go. And I, I really lament that because they're beautiful and disgusting pieces of artwork. <laughs> well, like, especially the ones that were uh, re-released or were finally released of the old artwork where they have just the worst things that they do to these soldiers. The, the Martians capture soldiers and they tie them to turbines and just let the jet go. So it just burns the dude in half. My God. You know? This assault it kids? Yes, it's like, this, I understand now why this wasn't released until the 90s. So, Mars Attacks comes out, and I have all these cards, and I go first seeing the movie because I love the card set. And then Tim Burton, alright, okay, I get it. The kitschy thing that he does, and this is an old kitschy thing, sort of. He's only got a handful of cards, not even a handful. He's like two or three cards, three or four cards that are actually featured in the film. That's a bummer, Yeah, dude. that's got to be a big letdown. I know it's supposed to be a PG-13 movie, but man, there's some really dark stuff in there anyway, so you're kind of surprised that they pulled back. Or maybe Tim Burton liked the idea, but started thinking more about, oh, well, maybe this doesn't work that well. Or how much stuff was cut out? How much do you think was cut out so it didn't get an R rating? Yeah, I wonder. Because uh, the opening scene with the, the Korean barbecue... Oh, yeah, let the, me tell you this real quick. The cows the first time on fire. When I went to the theater to see this movie, I have a friend, love him, 
Uh, he's like family to me, but that dude is never on time for anything. He's always got to finish stuff. I'm on this level! I gotta finish it! Dude, the movie starts in 15 minutes. We gotta go! Just hold on! You know, that kind of thing. Uh, let's just say he made me very angry when I showed up for Mars Attacks, and I come in, and the cows are on fire, and I thought I had missed a ton of the movie. And this, I sat there... Oh, no, but that's... that's I, just I didn't know that until I saw it on video, but I remember just sitting there stewing, like, son of a bitch, how much of this movie... I want. <laughs> he didn't understand. I was like, I want to see all the trailers. This is before you can see stuff. You know, online at any moment. Oh right. I, you know, yeah. you wait, I, want, I want the whole experience. I'm paying my money. I want it's the whole experience. So I missed all the trailers, <laughs> and I thought I missed like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> and I was like, son of a bitch! Should I just go see another movie? And I was like, all right, I'll just sit here. And then all of a sudden, the Mars attacks comes up. I'm like, oh, oh, thank goodness. That is one of those cards. The cows on fire. Is that? It's actually an interesting way to start the film. <laughs> it's a dark way, I guess. I think that immediately threw people off. That's one of the darkest moments in the whole movie, and all of a sudden they're just like, "Oh, we're, we're starting off with this. There's no warm up." Yeah, with the stampede. But the the music, it's back to Danny Elfman, which he does a good job. The music for Ed Wood was Howard Shore. Burton and Elfman had a falling out at the time. Yeah. I don't. Well, I think he chose to do the Boingo final tour instead of doing the movie. Okay. Thank you. I was going to say, I don't know why, but now that Yeah, I'm pretty sense. sure that's when he wrapped it up. He was losing his hearing, and, and he didn't even make that noticed until, I mean, a public notice until recently, that the reason Oingo Boingo ended and why you will never see them go on tour again is because he's lost a lot of his hearing. Ah, okay. Well, he's back, and the music's good. I like it. He does a lot of theremin work, so that's cool. I love the theremin. I don't know why. The, I just love the sound of it. <laughs> the flying saucer effects are pretty great. The CG effects in this film aren't that great. I was no. looking at some... But, I rewatched this movie, but earlier today I was looking at some clips of the uh, CG work, and I just think, and it's true, 100%, they're unfinished by today's standards. Yeah, I think Warner Brothers probably got cold feet on this. Like, oh my god, how much have we sunk into the merchandise, and this isn't going to make a dime. Oh my god, we thought it was going to be a big Christmas hit. And they probably decided, you know what, uh, uh, we're done. We're going to have to stop here. We have to save some money, finish whatever shots you got left. We're not doing a cleanup on them. We're done. Well, because you're right, there's a lot of shots, but it's not as bad as like no, uh, earlier. No, it's all of it is uniform. It's not, I don't mean unfinished as in like, it looks like The Rock. Scorpion King. It's all uniform and it's all by design that it looks this way, but by today's standards, like the CG would be so much better now if they yeah. even went CG. I think they, maybe they should do a, a Mars Attacks director's cut. I I, I really effects. think that this story should not have been this way. Mars Attack like a Mad Mad World. That's that's my problem. Is it feels like you spend five minutes with a bunch of jerks. It's um they Inferno. all die off in Towering Inferno. You remember those types of movies? Yeah, it's like one of those, or it's like a Mad 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 World kind of thing where it's just a bunch of people show up. You don't really care. It's just chaos, constant chaos. Yeah, and the only characters I care about in this movie is Pam Greer and Jim Brown and their kids. That's it. That's all that's I care it? about. The rest that's is just kind of suck. Yeah. And not not even the, the kid and his grandmother? Oh, yeah. Lucas Haas in the old day with the yodeling. Yodeling. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what I think it should have been like an older B-movie where you can get a little bit more global, which the cards are global. It shows them attacking suburbia and the big city, the Eiffel Tower, and various other places. But I think it should have started on a small scale. Like yeah. like the movie started on a small scale. It's just some farmland with some cows. And it didn't stay there. Immediately, it was like the White House. And shut up! I don't care! And that Jack Nicholson, why is he playing two characters? That It's obviously he's 
Jack Nicholson in one and Jack Nicholson in the other with a fake nose and a mustache and long hair and a yeah, cowboy hat. But, yeah, but in this one, I got a thin little mustache. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like why? Uh, just let Jack do what he does. Why? Be- because it's, is it a vanity thing? Is because Jack Nicholson has too much clout so that he can say, I want to do this and he does it? Anyway. Yeah, it's Tim Burton cashing in a lot of favors and letting them just do whatever they want. You know, Danny, I've always respected Danny DeVito, so his is a little more reserved, but you know that Jack Nicholson was like, yeah, I'll do your, you know, I'll do the movie or whatever, but I get to do whatever I want. Yeah, I don't I, like this movie is just full of bad decisions. Michael J. Fox completely wasted. Sarah Jessica Parker. No, she's uh, a, she's actually st- pretty great in it. She's actually really? one of the like greatest parts in it. All. You didn't like her? No. She has this really funny way of conducting the interview with the scientists. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. I kind of like the Pierce Brosnan, like classic professor with a cigar yeah. pipe in his mouth. Or she has the interview with him, and she presents the questions that are on the cards she reads it's just the funniest delivery of those we're speaking with professor donald kessler of astronautics so what in your view donald chairman are some of the things that the martians can teach us professor (coughs) but um seriously this is tremendously exciting and we must be open to it Maybe they can tell us about our universe. That's the funniest okay. part of the movie. And their, um, their romance in which he's just a severed head and hers is on a dog's body. <laughs> that's weird. It's that's weird and cute, and they got risky there, and that's... But I think the biggest problem is, like I said, this is where Tim Burton was given too much, and then all of a sudden he realized he screwed up, and then he started playing it super safe. That's why almost everything he does now seems to be a remake. I mean, that's kind of the way the Hollywood system's moving anyway, but he kind of helped go in that direction. And rarely, he, you know, he'll do a, a big fish, you know, big eyes, which which I enjoy, but he'll do too many Dark Shadows and, and Oz and uh, Alice in Wonderland, which I all thought were terrible. But I kind of like this period where he was a little more risky, a little more daring. Yeah, and you just you just want stuff. Mars Attacks to be so good, and it's not. Yeah, like I said, it's a mad, 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 mad world kind of thing where you want to like it because there's so much crazy stuff going on. But you realize uh, none of it really works. None of it's really that funny. It's just chaos. Yeah. They're supposed to be like, oh, this is the parody of Independence Day. And I don't like Independence Day either. I think it's overrated mess. But I'll probably watch it before Mars Attacks again. Except I do fondly enjoy going around stores with friends going... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I still have a Mars Attacks laser gun. No kidding. I had Savage Dragon versus Mars Attacks from Image Comics in the miniseries for a while. I have two Martians on my desk. One really small one, a regular action figure size, and I have a laser gun. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, this is the one part that always interests me is how Lisa Marie, when she walks as the alien just chewing the gum, she like floats across the ground. Is she really walking or are they moving her on a no, conveyor belt as she No, they're wiggles? obviously wheeling her. Okay, because I was like, nobody moved like that. So she was just wiggling back and forth slowly as they put her on like some sort of belt. Yeah, they're wheeling her around. I always get, I'm fascinated by that scene too because how her hips and legs move and you don't see below her knee. Yeah. So it's just mid, mid thighs where the camera stops, but yeah, how so she moves, bizarre. she's just, yeah, it's very serpentine. Yes, yes, definitely. Which, there's a couple moments where they, they have the alien, well, like that little hand that comes off, whatever, and has like kind of a bug, serpent, scorpion kind of way. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool, too, though the, the scene itself is stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bad decisions made, and I wonder if it's also made by committee or Got me. too many notes. I don't know. I don't know. This is the beginning of the end of my time with Tim Burton, I think. Yeah, I uh, I sat through Sleepy Hollow. I thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness none of us had to sit through Superman Lives. But then I got to Planet of the Apes. I'm like, I'm out. 
I'm out. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I was briefly brought in, uh, brought in because Big Fish was pretty good, but after that, I was just done. I can't, I cannot sit through uh, his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a nightmare, and the rest looks like just kaleidoscope nightmare filled with fluorescent barf. <laughs> yeah, I just think that there's some sort of thing that's off now. Yeah, it's 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 sad because that first decade or so of his career was just amazing. yeah. Like, four knockout movies in a row. You have, I'm going back, so you have Pee-wee, you have Beetlejuice, you have Edward Scissorhands, and you have Ed Wood. That yeah. is amazing. And you have no, Batman. Yeah, I missed take, the, I even missed Bat- Batman. He's got Batman, a super hit in, in the, all of that, too. Right. So. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode. Um, I just want to say, uh, Andrew. Yes. Would you like to buy a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, probably, I would. Like to All right, you fancy lad. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Yeah, 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 but why scissors in the first place? It's like petting a bunny. <laughs>